Lloyd. Good evening. It's Punks on Film number two. We are discussing this time, because the last one went down really well, despite it being a really shit film. We're talking about the 1983, um, what's her fucking name? Penelope Spheris film, independent film, uh, Suburbia, which the movie tagline says, when household tensions and a sense of worthlessness overcome Evan, he finds escape when he clings with the orphans of a throwaway society. The runaways hold on to each other like a family until a tragedy tears them apart. So with me today, as as always, it's it's Niall. Hello, thank you for doing another one of these. They're brilliant. If you do say so yourself. <laughs> if I do say so myself, yeah. And on Thanksgiving weekend, in the state of the home of the first Thanksgiving, First Nations Appreciation Day, as it's now known there, I've got uh, Mark Dotrell II. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Did I pronounce it right? You did, actually. You did. Fucking yes. <laughs> yes. Get in there. Happy Thanksgiving. I wish more people could do that. <laughs> Suburbia, then. Now, this is a funny one because... I only ever watched it pretty late in my life, mainly for the band performances. I'm not going to lie, but it's got something about it. So I've seen it about four times. Niall, how many times have you seen it? Twice. I literally watched it for the first time this week. So, yeah, this is all new to you, all this craziness. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm coming in with a, a fresh pair of eyes, as it were. Okay. And Mark, you... This is a big deal for you, this film. It had an important role in your... Yes, it's... Uh, yeah, it did. Um, I mean, it's very important to me. I've seen it many times. Um, I became... I got into the punk scene when I was 14. I saw the movie not long after. I was a suburban punk, you know, come from a rough family background and this really was like a it's like a gonzo version of me and my best friends lives as teenagers we had a lot of similarities here obviously not as completely out there as most of these as the film was but very a lot of stuff that was pretty wild so it, it definitely hit home when i saw it okay okay so that's useful so we're going to go through the film, as we do, sort of scene by scene, discuss on key bits uh, or bits that have piqued our interest. I am not going to remember all the characters' names, so I'm relying on, on Mark here mainly <laughs> for, for that. But the scene, the, one thing that struck me is the opening soundtrack, considering it's a film about punk, sounds like a shit porno. Who signed off on that, Penelope? Scrib- My guess would be smut producer Roger Corman, who <laughs> was a co-producer of this. <laughs> right, so what's his background? Also producer of Rock and Roll High School. Dirty old man. Roger Corman. Yeah. Um, exploitation films going from the 50s on up. He's still alive. He's 94 years old, still kicking. Um, he's done a variety of stuff from horrible B movies. Uh, I mean, Francis Ford Coppola's first film was a Roger Corman production. 
you know, he did, he, he did rock and roll high school. He wanted it to be disco high school, but you know, <laughs> okay, no. who knows, but Can you for, for a Roger Corman produced film, this has, yeah, exactly. For a, for a Roger Corman film, this has a shockingly small amount of smutty scenes. Yeah, there's not a lot of smut. There's a lot of fucking hell, Jesus Christ scenes. But yeah. we'll get to the first one of those. So we are on the side of some highway. A young girl, she's hitchhiking. I don't know if this was a, a thing that people did, but pretty quickly, a woman on her own with a kid in the car, pulls over and, and offers to give her a lift. And where's she going? Just to the end of the highway. She gets in the car. The woman speaks to her. And the teenage girl doesn't answer at all, which is pretty rude. And then, of course, they have a, a tyre blowout on the, on the side of the highway. So they hobble along to a telephone box. Very ominous phone box. Yes, very ominous. They they all get out of the car. Don't know why they, they need to do that. Particularly, could someone could have stayed in there? And and the the good Samaritan woman who picked up the hitchhiker says, "Excuse me, person I've never met. Can you look after my kid for a minute, please, while I fucking ring the recovery people?" Somehow, they don't notice this growling Doberman in the shadows. Yeah, and then the kid says, Mummy, Mummy, there's a fucking big dog there. (laughs) Can't protect me. And the kid gets fucking mauled to death by a dog, and it's quite harrowing, isn't it? Um, Yeah, it really is. Like The way that they've they've shot it, it's not implied or (laughs) or anything at all. It's it's just there. Yeah, it's... it's, uh... So the lesson is uh, Doberman versus baby... Doberman wins. Yes, every time. Every time. Especially baby in care of stranger. I, I think, you know. Yes. But, yeah, we hear some screaming. Teenage physically abused stranger. <laughs> and we hear some... A small, quick, quick note on that. Quick note on that. Apparently, that was, a tr- that was a true thing that actually happened that they took from the news and put in the movie. Uh, the baby getting attacked and killed by a dog. A wild, a wild dog? I don't know if it was a wild dog. I just read that um, this was culled from true events. Um, I read that in uh, the Destroy All Movies book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll talk about Destroy All Movies book as well later. Um, so after that particularly harrowing scene, where do we go after that? Niall, can you pick this little scene up? Yeah, we go to a, a domestic uh, situation. We've got a young man reading a comic book uh, with some kind of war. It might have been the news, for all I know. It was like war going on in the background on the telly. And then his mother comes in. It basically starts yelling at him for no good reason. Boy, don't scream like that. Accuses him of drinking her vodka. Yeah, and he points out it was probably you that did that, and she has to smell his breath. Clearly, he's not he's not um, had any. Then she goes to check the trash underneath the sink, and then she proper goes off at him. She screams, Evan! Makes me jump. Evan! Every time. And 
says, you were supposed to take this out this morning, causing all the names under the sun. He sort of doesn't really stick up for himself, does he? Sort of apologises weekly. And then gets an empty ketchup bottle lobbed at his fucking head, which smashes on the wall. So he gets up and gets the hell out of there, don't he? Yep. He goes outside. His younger brother is going round and round in circles on a, on a plastic trike thing. Oh, the big wheel? Big wheel, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what's his brother called? I fucking forgot. Ethan. Ethan and Evan. Ethan and Evan. Right, okay. The first Ethan. prepubescent punk on film. Yes. Very prepubescent. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's saying, where are you going? Where are you going to go? And uh, Evan says, I don't know. I'll find somewhere. So he's got all all his meagre possessions in a fucking bin bag. And he hits the road to downtown LA. Dog, I am going to fucking get a baby to kill you in a minute. <laughs> Sit up here. <laughs> so what happens next then? I forgot. Seriously. He walks on to the, uh, he ends up at the DI show. Yes, the DI show at a venue. But they never say what the venue's called, do they? No, no, they never show the venue's name. I'm sure it's probably modeled after something like the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, that's what I was, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what it's meant to be. But Made famous by our buddy Pat Brown. Yep. So Evan, with his bin bag, (laughs) sees a load of punks walking around, uh, sees them all lining up for something. Perhaps he's half English or something because he just joins the queue without really knowing what's at the end of it. Ends up in a gig and D.I. are playing, which that would be a nice surprise, wouldn't it, with your bin bag? Especially in 1983. Yeah. So he's in there. Uh, He don't really know what's going on. D.I. are blasting out Richard hung himself. So I think this would be a good juncture to drop the song in. So let's do that just to build the ambience.
And then, uh, whilst whilst they're rocking out, a lot happens in this uh, in this bit, and it's a bit upsetting. First of all, uh, some lad comes and well sees a, a kid with a bin bag and says, "Excuse me, do you want to buy some drugs?" Yeah, that's Keith. Keith, what Keith? Keith, oh Keith. And uh, and uh, Evans like, no thanks, mate. I'm all right, but. Sneakily, he gets, yeah, he gets sly, doesn't he? Keith sneakily puts his arm round Evan and drops what looks like the red pill from the Matrix into black a, triangles, man. Black triangles, triangles. <laughs> <laughs> into uh, into his beer, which foot knows where we got that from. Um, <laughs> now, I don't know if if drug dealers are a bit more charitable in America or they were in 1983, but that's definitely never happened to me. I think they must have been because you always get the stories every Halloween, don't you? Like, be careful when your kids are trick or treating because somebody's going to give out like all these fucking drugs. And it's like, that's never happened ever and would never happen. <laughs> that's why I always well, have to test remember the first, in, in America, the first one's free. I don't know how it is, know how it is in, in England, but we always got told that at school, but nah, it never was. I'm still waiting. Yeah, you used to come back and be like, what did you get? And I just got some fucking chocolate and sweet. <laughs> hey, that's drugs to Mormons. <laughs> so Evan is getting off it without even knowing. Uh, but then we cut to... A new wave girl at a punk show. She was asking for trouble, wasn't she? She's, uh, she's asking for that trouble. No, I don't This is the most that. Roger Corman moment. This is the most Roger Corman moment. Just to clarify, we're not saying she was asking for this to happen in a sexual way. She was a new wave person no. at a. Uh, he was just a new wave person at a punk show, and yeah. that's a no go. No, and <laughs> this is the first appearance. Nobody of, can see that I'm joking. All this. <laughs> <laughs> first appearance of Skinner, who will get to know a lot better as the film goes on. He is a skinhead, hence the name, probably. 
unless he's also called Skinner, which would be quite convenient. And he goes up to her and he says, I think I'd like to fuck your brains out. What? He said, I think I'd like to fuck your brains out. Oh, you would? Yeah, but it doesn't look like you have any. I think I'd like yeah, to fuck your, your brains out. And then she says, It doesn't look like you have any. Brains. Yeah. And then he, he <laughs> she says, No, mate, you're all right. And then he, yeah, the absolute zinger. It looks like you haven't got any brains. So what does she do then? I can't remember. She doesn't do anything. They no, just rip her clothes do off. Yeah. yeah and she then, doesn't do anything. And then she everyone, for some fucking reason, it's pretty horrendous, this bit, isn't it? It is. I was very uncomfortable watching that. Uh, they rip all of her clothes off and she's just like screaming. And they all stand in a circle, like laughing at her. For a long, long time. <laughs> like five minutes too long. Like well long. And then the only person in the room who shows a modicum of decency, even the bouncers aren't quick off the mark, is the singer of D.I., who doesn't strike me as a, uh, you know, a particularly socially conscious sort of dude. Um, but in the face of that shit show, someone's got to step up to the mark, and I think he really let his leadership credentials shine through then. No one listens to him, but he had a go. But he, do, he does start off with saying, hey, cut it off. Hey, leave her alone. Come on, you homos. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the only point where they stop. <laughs> no one calls me a homo. Better stop. <laughs> I better stop. This. <laughs> yeah. The thing was, the, like... the club promoter threatens to cut the show off. Yeah. And then he cuts the he he does kill the show because of that. Good. Played by um... Nick. Played by Nikki Beat of the Germs and the Weirdos. Good and knowledge. Cock rock band LA Guns. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they cut the show. Uh, that poor girl gets sort of whisked out. Everyone seems really annoyed that their gig's been ruined. It's like, well, you've just sexually assaulted someone and publicly humiliated them, lads. You know what I mean? Just suck it up a bit. She will make appearance later in the film, too. Yes, she she does. She does. So yeah, they, they clear everyone out. The bouncer. Uh, as everyone disappears, finds Evan on the floor uh, with some vomit coming out of his gob. And they pick him up and hopefully leave him on a fucking grass verge outside. And then we meet um, our, our friend, Jake Diddley. Jack Diddley. Yeah. Jack Diddley, yeah. <laughs> Jack the leader of, uh, leader of TR. Sort we'll of. get on to his leadership credentials in a minute because I don't think he's got any either. <laughs> yeah. He's also the biggest movie star in yeah. the film. He was one of the only two actual actors, wasn't he, that she cast? He was yeah. not an actor before this, oh. though. Oh, was he not? He was not an actor before this, no. So he was he just... Was the, he was a bass player of hardcore punk band Sin 34. I don't know if you know Sin 34, but... We'll put... um, no, no Effects recorded one of their songs. Um, well, there you go. And then he went on to, to bigger and better things. So, yeah... Uh, Jack Diddley finds him, picks him up, and there's a bit that confuses me now. He says, well, you can't sleep on the grass. Not you'll die of exposure, not you'll get robbed and mugged. The worst thing that could befall a human. You can't sleep on the grass. The snails will crawl on your face. The snails will crawl on your face. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what 
makes uh, Jack Diddley go, oh, I better help this lad. Don't want a snail face, does he? <laughs> so he puts him in his piece of shit car. They have a talk about some stuff. But then where do they go? Because at the TR house, it's like broad daylight, isn't it, when they get there? Yeah, so before they um, were kind of introduced to Joe Schmo, whose dad's a homo. <laughs> I'm only saying, I'm quoting, that's a quote. Yeah, it is a quote. You know. <laughs> yeah, they go and pick it's up Joe Schmo. one of my favourite lines in the movie. <laughs> they go and pick up so Joe when Schmo. I, when, I, when I first heard that line, I was like, oh, that's just banter. You know, like, oh, your dad's, your dad's a homo or whatever. But it becomes apparent later in the film that, yeah. Pretty apparent. <laughs> they... Yeah, as you know, as all as all punks want, they go sleep in a parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Why the hell not? Okay, so they go pick up Joe. We've all, we've all done it on tour. Oh yeah, his dad is in the swimming pool with his friend, and they say, "Jack, go and wake him up." I've tried. I gave up three hours ago. Joe Schmo's in there asleep on his bed, which is a fucking shit hole. And they all, all four of them go to the TR house, and his gay dad says, oh, you're moving out again. Moving out again, huh, Joe? Don't let him get a goodbye this time? Later days. Later days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they jump in Jack Diddley's piece of shit car, and off they go to the TR house. The worst part, though, about them leaving that house is... They didn't even bother taking down the decline of the Western civilization poster <laughs> in Joe Schmo's bedroom, or take his ger- or take his germs original pressing seven inch with them. Well, you know, it, hindsight's twenty twenty, Mark. The, to them, <laughs> they were probably ten a penny for those guys. Ten a penny. So. <laughs> Off they I go. do love the plot. I love the product placement, though the decline. <laughs> you know, Penelope Spears' previous what she was known for at the time. Yeah, yeah. Before she'd go on to direct uh, Wayne's World. <laughs> I never even knew that. Fucking hell! Right. So, oh, really? Really? Yeah, uh, she directed Wayne's World. <laughs> fucking hell! How the mighty have fallen. They get to the TR house. It's quite clearly a chateau, but it's their chateau. We see them uh, firstly in the kitchen, and a girl is getting a haircut. And which girl is it? It's our Sheila. Sheila. Sheila, who witnessed the incredible baby mauling of 1983 outside a phone box. So if she wasn't fucked up before, she definitely is now. Uh, She somehow found her way to the TR house. Evan says, what does TR stand for? What does it stand for? The rejected. Is it the rejected? rejected. The rejected. Yes, it is the what, rejected. I think it's the rejected. What? Why do you need the T in there? That's anyway. Just seems pointless. Just abbreviating no. the. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's what. Is it that... rejected. It looks cooler on a jacket when you <laughs> abbreviate. <it. laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she's having a a haircut, and then we see superstar guest appearance. A certain bass player by the name of Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, as a very young man. And he slingshots. Oh, you mean Mike B? Yeah, Mike B the Flea. Mike B the Flea, yeah, as he's credited. And he slingshots a cockroach off the ceiling. 
and then says to Evan, do you want to be next? And Evan's like, shit, he's going to shoot me off the ceiling as well. But then the Flea, a.k.a. A- Razzle, goes, a haircut. You next for a haircut? Um, Evan says, "I no, I've just had a haircut. And he's got some really bad, like, Donny Osmond hairstyle, hasn't he? And Flea says, could have fooled me. I'm going to refer to him as Flea for all of this because I, I just will. Uh, Can I just um, drop in a little bit of IMDb magic here? Sprinkle yes, a bit of trivia. Please do. So, According to IMDb, the scene where Razzle shoots a cockroach cost $50 and was one of the most expensive in the film. The insect was specially trained and had its own handler. Wow. <laughs> I think they got fucking ripped off there. <laughs> I bet they rang like the Hollywood Animal Agency and were like, we need a cockroach handler. And they were like, yeah, we'll send Jeff down <laughs> with his special cockroach. How do you fucking train a cockroach? And what did it do? It didn't do anything, did it? And manage to not die? Fuck uh, <laughs> knows. Right, yeah. So anyway, they go for a bit of a further look. Uh, Skinner and a few other TR kids are all sat down watching TV in the shithole living room. And there's a, what is it, an infomercial about some sort of mental health clinic. And it says, they're all talking about it. And Skinner says, these places cost eight, was it $800 a week? $800 a week. Yeah. yeah. And Evan whispers something. Is it to Jack Diddley? And so, and then Skinner goes, what did you say? If I had $800 a week, I wouldn't be depressed in the first place. Are you experiencing feelings of alienation, depression, or loneliness? We at Southwest Woodside Hospital know that these are cries for help. We're only a phone call away. Oh, yeah. I know somebody checked into one of those places, and you know what it costs? What? 800 bucks a week. Our trained counselors are experts in improving social behavior patterns. What did you say? Drug and alcohol related. I said if you had 800 bucks a week, you probably wouldn't be depressed in the first place. That's true. What's your name? Evan. You got a burn, Evan? And Skinner, like, thinks that's funny and asks him if he's going to get a burn. Yeah, so it's eight hundred dollars a week. You wouldn't be depressed in the first place if you had eight hundred dollars a week. Skinner goes, oh, "You're gonna get a burn." That's true. What's your name? <laughs> <laughs> Not who the fuck are you? <laughs> so yeah, they start you talking about. Evan? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they start talking about Evan getting a burn. What's a burn? Anyone want to enlighten everyone? I thought it was from the uh, 1981 UK film, Scum. <laughs> right. We did miss a bit that's quite important. Uh, on their way uh, to get Joe Schmo, whose dad's a homo, jo- uh, Jack and Evan, have a. they see a cop car go past and they have a discussion that Jack's dad, he says, my old man's a cop. He's my, my stepdad. St- yeah. That ain't the worst part. No, no, not by a long shot. father died in Vietnam, and his mum got married again. And Evan goes, God, your stepdad's a cop? Yeah, and that's not the worst of it. What's the worst of it? Is he a mass murderer? Is he a paedophile? God, your stepdad's a cop. Yeah, that's not the worst of it, though. He's black. black cop. No, he's black. Bummer. <laughs> 
the response black god what a drag oh yeah i wanted to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe for him arseholes like you walking around <laughs> in californian talk that's uh that's pretty bad <laughs> <laughs> So after that bombshell, yeah, we, we've got to the point. They are discussing Evan getting a burn. Yeah, all those dogs on the way to the TR house chase them as well. They recount the story of the kid. Uh, Jack's knowledge of dog breeds is lacking somewhat because he says um, apparently all the people when they moved out left some of their dogs and the coyotes came down from the hills and fucked the dogs and you got wild dogs. Uh, that Doberman was quite clearly thoroughbred and yes. had not been rabid. A, a lot of very nice purebred Doberman pinchers in that, that <laughs> wild dogs. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, they're talking about getting a uh, a burn. And Evan says, a burn? What's a burn? Nobody can stay here unless they get a burn, he's told. Jack shows his. He says, it's kind of nice. It's not really. It's uh, a TNR uh, burnt onto your skin. They look like they've used guitar strings, don't they, to um, create their monstrosity brand. Yeah. And Evan says, Jesus, that'll be there your whole life. And Jack says, that's the idea. If we didn't do that, we'd have all kinds of flakes hanging around. Um, so he tells them what it stands for. Joe Schmo isn't buying into the burning at all. Uh, he says it's some kind of ridiculous initiation or something. So he leaves again. After Jack has been charitable, he then offers to give him a lift back. And he says, no, I'll hitchhike. Oh, fuck you then, mate. He gets warned to watch out for the big bad wolf, which is the coyote Doberman pincher hybrids uh, that kill babies. And then we cut back to uh, Joe Schmo's dad's condo. Obviously, it's dark now. The pool's shut. He's saying, Dad, let me in. I'm back. The so pool may be shut, but the curtain certainly ain't. <laughs> <laughs> so he looks through the... It's just two lifelong chums. <laughs> <laughs> looks through the living room window and sees his dad's bare ass entangled in a loving embrace with his special friend. His fishing buddy. Yes. Perhaps, I don't know whether he forgot that's what gay people do or something. He seems quite surprised at this turn of events and <laughs> leaves again and presumably walks all the way back through the gauntlet of thoroughbred Doberman pinchers back to TR house. Then we've got... The, the seeds of a beautiful relationship. Mark, do you want to take this bit? Coming back into the house. Are you going to get a burn? Yeah. I guess so. He meets Sheila, who seems like a nice, nice young lass, as all as y'all would say. In... <laughs> <laughs> Never thought twice about getting mine, she says. And he said, is that right? Joe Schmoe says, why not? Because I've got so many scars already. What kind of scars? And uh, she shows what she has. And uh, her back is covered, absolutely covered in scars. Yes, it is quite upsetting again. You know how she got those. And she says, well, maybe if I get to know you better. Yeah, she'll quite happily show them to him. 
but then doesn't expect the follow-on question, how the fuck did you do that? And says, I'll tell you one day. Fade to black. All the TR kids in the morning are sleeping in the living room in their various places. And there's gunshots going on. And there's some quite graphic shots of some... Are they rednecks? They're not proper rednecks, are they? They're not proper rednecks. Um, by California standards, the rednecks, I guess. But uh, in where I come from, they're just out of work, middle class losers. Yeah, they've got gilets on. They're in their pickup truck with their assortment of firearms, and they're shooting the pack of dogs um, from their moving vehicle. Uh, Weekend warrior vigilante types. Yeah. <laughs> One of them looks suspiciously like Xavier Bardem from uh, No Country for Old Men as well. They've got their gilets on. They've got their USA caps, handlebar moustache on one of them. Uh, the TR kids hear the commotion and says, it looks like they're killing the dogs. Uh, and Flea, a.k.a. Razzle, which is his name in the film, uh, says, they're not killing my dogs. So he... Oh, my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so they say, where are you going? Come back. Yeah, these are my dogs. Um, so Skinner to the rescue and, uh, Razzle go out and luckily these blokes have stopped outside the TR house, luckily, and they confront the two douchebags. There's a very, Skinner's Skinner's ready to go. uh, Always, always ready to go. Skinner. Um, What do, what do the, uh, wannabe rednecks say to Skinner? What are you dressed for? Yeah, where's the war? What the hell are you dressed up for? Yeah, where's the war? Up your ass. Up your ass. I'd like the long end of this rifle up your ass. And up then your ass. <laughs> another, another zinger from Skinner. He's he's full of them, isn't he? Just blowing everyone out of the water. And then one of the rednecks says. I'd, lo- I'd like the long end of this rifle up your ass. <laughs> then Razzle says, Skinner, look, here come the cops. Off they go. Uh, the TR kids retreat back to the house. The cops pull up. There's an exchange with uh, Jack Diddley's stepdad, uh, who's a cop, but that's not the worst of it. He's also black. Wow. Um, <laughs> and his cracker sidekick. Uh, and they basically have a go at the vigilantes uh, saying it's illegal in the city limits to discharge a firearm. The the rednecks say they're from a group called Citizens Against Crime. And in in a fantastic fantastic zinger again, the honky sidekick says, most citizens are against crime, sir. (laughs) Bazinga. Take that. I I have to point out, the cops in this film, this might be the most politely, how do, how do I say this? This might be the most sympathetic view of police in any punk film I've ever seen. Yeah, because the they, get a good, they get a good are rap. not bad guys. In this. No, they get a good rap throughout, which is very at odds with what I've heard about the punk scene in LA in the 80s. So... Exactly, yes, yes. They mention, they justify their actions because of the killing of the little boy the other day. Police are aware of it. Of course they are. A little kid's been eaten by a dog. Mustachioed redneck 
says, hey, we've got a little one over here. And blows the puppy away. And he says, little ones grow up to be big ones, you know. Jack Diddley's dad interrogates them about their papers for their guns. And they're all registered. Uh, oh, the, and we find out the rednecks' names are Jim Triplett and Bob Stokes. I don't know which one's which. Yeah, they, they try and fuck about. And then they point out that the rednecks point out that perhaps living squatting in a house is illegal within the city minutes, the city limits. And they says, yeah, we'll look into it. We'll handle that. Don't worry. But then Jack's dad, who's a cop, but that's not the worst thing. He's black. Says you got a big kick out shooting that dog. Didn't you? Yeah, it's kind of fun. (laughs) (laughs) So situations discharged. Hunky sidekick says to Jack's cop black dad, that car looks familiar. We should run a make on it. And Jack's dad says, yeah, I gave it to my son last year. It was my old one. It sure looks like he's fucked it up. So they said, let's look into the house, but he's more worried about the vigilante. As he should be. Yeah, of course. Right, now where are we? Oh, we're going shopping. <laughs> yes, supplies are in short supply in the TR house. So who goes? Jack, the leader of the gang, Skinner, and who else? Is it Evan, Evan goes? Yeah, Evan's lookout. Evan's with him. Yeah. Evan, Evan, the most forgettable lead actor. <laughs> Evan is the, is supposed to be the lead actor, and I didn't remember his name up yeah. until I looked on the computer. <laughs> when I first saw it, I thought it was a young Josh Hartnett. Way too young. So they need to do some shopping. Because they're skint, they... Yeah, cash poor. Yeah, <laughs> cash poor, uh, friendship rich. They go... <laughs> Um, to do some pilfering. But what they do is they find a dead cat and you pick up, they pick up the dead cat and take it with them. It's been run over or something. And they drive along. They found it dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't hurt the cat. Got to say that. And then they see, they say, hey, there's one. What's one? It's an open garage. Ho-de-do, ho-de-do. That somebody has carelessly left open. So in they go. They steal the beers from the fridge, steal the microwave meals, they steal anything meat that's raid. not yeah. total meat raid. <laughs> uh, Something called Bergy. <laughs> There's a Bergy. Oh, that's the beers, isn't it? Is it the it is the beers? Yeah. I guess it is Bergy beer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it's all going really well, and they've got quite a lot, and they could have been in and out in about 20 seconds, really, and got away with it and been none the wiser. But what they decide to do is put the dead cat in the fucking dryer, and then... Uh, fair, fair trade. The and, fair then, trade. <laughs> and then spray paint the logo that they all walk around with, on their backs with on the fridge and on the walls of the house. <laughs> they get rumbled, jump back in, Jack Diddley's shitty car, and off they go. They're gone. They're in. They're still driving around the more affluent area of the suburbs. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. When they come across a garage sale, this bit's fucking. <laughs> up Can I just point out the? Um, I can't remember if it was on a sticker or 
something like that. But it says in the script thing, when guns are outlawed, only outlaws will have guns. That's on the camper van. It's a bumper That's stick, it, yeah. That is a very uh, common type of uh, thought in the United States. <laughs> well, it's transcended the decade, doesn't it? Good guys <laughs> with guns. <laughs> <laughs> No, they're in this cul-de-sac thing. There's somebody looking at um, the two rednecks who shot the dog's camper because they've got to sell it. They've got to cut back on recreation because they lost their jobs at Lockheed, mm-hmm. which seems to be a common thread throughout the film. It's a pretty pointless haggling exercise that doesn't bring anything to the film. I love the fact that it's got both of their names on the camper as well. Yeah. I find that adorable. <laughs> they're, two, they're two blokes. I'll bet my bottom dollar would beat the shit out of Joe Schmo's dad, given half a chance. But they jointly own a camper van. Yeah, you got Skoko and Trippet on either side of the door. I'm like, oh, you guys. <laughs> yeah, and this, this, I think they're trying. I think maybe, maybe I'm reading into it. I think Penelope Spears is trying to show that these people's obsession with the TR kids is bent from the fact that their view their mindset of the you know the stereotypical american male that needs to provide for the family is being stilted because they're out of work and they ain't got shit to do yeah and uh, i think they're trying she's maybe maybe trying to give them some type of sympathetic view at least to an extent so they think helping the community by killing dogs and getting rid of undesirables is the next best thing in their head yeah so they do this, yeah, weird, pointless haggling with a bloke about their gay love van. Don't know why. 12 and 14 years, respectively, with GM. So off he goes. He says he'll have, have a nice day. I'll give him a call. And then they mug him off behind his back and say, have a nice day, my ass. We can't work and we can't hunt. Yeah, and this is just before the bit as well where um, he goes, let me buy you a beer. And then walks over to the cooler and picks up a beer. I'm like, cheap bastard. Yep, so they have a beer. So there is a perfectly polite middle-aged mum sat behind a um, garage sale table. Jack Diddley is quite tall, isn't he? He's towering over her, looking intimidating. And she says, is there something special that you're looking for? Is there something special you're looking for? Yeah. Got any vibrators? Got any vibrators. <laughs> yeah, so he's asked her if she's got any vibrators. She's quite shocked, which you would be, wouldn't you? If uh Oh yeah. yeah a man okay. with a flat top had asked if you were selling dildos on your garage sale. And uh yeah, um our redneck friends spot them and say, Not you two again. And they chase them away. Uh and yeah, they escape the homoerotic garage sale uh, <laughs> unscathed. So off they've gone. Back home, garage raid. Yeah, they, they share the spoils of their day's hunting, the budgie beers and, and all other manner of crap. And everyone's having a good old time. They have a good old-fashioned barbecue outside. They dig a, they dig a pit. They, that's a ancient style of cooking. These kids are... Uh intuitive i noticed when they were raiding the garages like one of the things they actually took was a bag of briquettes i'm like that is right 
essential? <laughs> it seems it was for the full barbecue effect. There's just a load of adverts on the telly. Well, oh, one of those adverts, the uh, the sofa. Are you looking for fine quality sofas? Yeah. That is from one of the actual producers of the film's legitimate commercials uh, from oh. Ohio. He uh, was a furniture salesman that moved to California to start move- doing movies. <laughs> wow. That and wasn't... Film he was in his late forty, late in his late forties, knew nothing about punk, and he says he actually got into punk music from this, and actually still likes the kids from the movie and likes punk music to this day. Wow, that's fucking wholesome, isn't it? Yes, yeah. that's dead good. He also said that his wife and daughter left the initial screening of Suburbia after ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> And had one had another person his age tell him that he should be ashamed of himself. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh God. Yeah, so they're all talking about their, you know, bad times they had growing up. Uh someone's dad was in um in Vietnam uh, and he had Agent Orange dumped on him. Uh, and it had some side effects. His fingernails fell out. He had a loss of sexual appetite. And then this. And he throws his prosthetic leg. Peg leg. <laughs> I think that's the character. I think that's the character's actual name in the film is Peg Leg. Well, it fucking would be, wouldn't it? Then they have, uh, yeah, a bit of a chill. All talking. But then it gets fucking dark. Sheila and Joe Schmo. Uh, Mike B. The Flea. A.K.A. Razzle. They burnt his clothes, his mum and dad, because they didn't like the way he dressed. He was nude. I was just... I was nude. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Jack and Sheila are staring at each other. Always staring at me. She doesn't like guys. Razzle said she tried to kill herself a couple of times. He asked her why, and she said, pick a reason. Oof. These poor little rich bitches always look that way. <laughs> Another Jack Diddley uh, <laughs> red hot take on the world. Lesson. <laughs> Keith. Keith. Keith, he's nodding out. No, no, Keith. 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 Keith's nodding out and he's all fucked up. So Skinner says, stop bringing that dope round here. You like some old... Foreshadowing. <laughs> yes, very heavily foreshadowing. You like some 60s hippie dirt merchant. Yeah, groovy, man. So, yeah. Um, Skinner, the skinhead, sends uh, Keith to bed. Uh, they're watching TV. Evan's mum is on TV. She's crashed a car when she's driving pissed up. They go... Shit, that's my mum. She's done felony drink driving. Now, that's that's bad, isn't it, felony drink driving, Mark? That is not good, especially when you have a seven-year-old child in your care So, and you're a single mother. What other varieties of drink driving are there? Well, that turns out to be vehicle vehicular manslaughter at that point in time because she hit other people. Um, that's bad, yeah. So, yeah. This isn't uh, just you and me on a piss-up uh, getting pulled over by the local police and have fucking about. 
It's in America. It's they they take a bit more of a light touch on DUIs, don't they? You get them like you get speeding tickets. Um, how many DUIs do you have to get in England to be put in prison? You you lose your driving license straight away, first time. It's state by state in the U.S., but if in Texas, if you get four DUIs, you go to prison for a few years. Wow. That's pretty hard. Actually, uh, my ex-girlfriend, she had a close friend that did three or four years in actual prison for four DUIs, which that's pretty fucking hardcore uh, to me. (laughs) Just just don't drive. Get rid of your fucking car if you're that tempted. Jesus Christ. Uh, I've never, I've thankfully never gotten a DUI, so. The one time I should have gotten a DUI, the cops thought I was sober. But I was going the wrong way down a one-way street, and I rushed at the cops until they pulled their guns. <laughs> it turned in. It turned in. It turned into joke. It turned into joking about. <laughs> oh, we're almost on the legend of Pat Brown already. So. <laughs> Yeah, I'd been I'd had my ass beat by cops uh, fairly recently by six cops, fairly recent maybe a couple months before, uh, for uh, protecting my friend who was breaking up a fight that the cops billy clubbed, and I ended up getting in their face. They maced me a couple times and had six cops beat my ass, and then in jail they asked me if I would like to join the Austin Police Department. <laughs> True story. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. You like breaking up fights? That's literally what the, you like. Break. They took me out of the jail cell. And I was like, holy shit. And uh, the guy who maced me wanted to know why I said the awful things to him. I said, I called him a pussy pig motherfucker about eight times. And uh, like, you like breaking up fights. You should uh, apply 17th Street. Like what? The, I, I literally said, "What the hell's happening here?" He's like, "You he really need people." I'm like, oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> Times are hard. Fucking hell! If you ever go to Austin, Texas, and get harassed by the cops, uh, you know they might have pulled them out of a jail system. <laughs> fuck! Well, not only was he a cop, that's not the worst part. No, not really. Uh, <laughs> So Evan uh, says, "Nice going, Mom. You crashed a car." Brother uh, of the year. <laughs> so what they do? They go. They kidnap his brother. Yeah, from one felony to another. Somehow, from a foster care home. <laughs> yeah, they kidnap his his kid brother, uh, Ethan. Um, they take his big wheel, of course, because the kid. He is a good brother. <laughs> yeah, the kid likes his fucking big wheel. And then the next bit, I've never really got this. So they're driving around, loads of them in Jack Diddley's car. They find a house, and they roll up all the turf off the garden, off the front lawn, which has obviously been freshly laid. (laughs) I'm thinking, what are they going to do? Redo their garden? (laughs) No, they go to a TV shop, sit outside of it. Is it in a mall or something? Yeah. And roll out the turf there as like a carpet, <laughs> and watch uh, government informational videos about what to do in a nuclear strike. Which 
didn't seem very useful to me because basically all it was saying is unless you're rich, you're fucked. You're going to die an excruciatingly agonizing death from radiation poisoning. Reagan's America. So why even put that on the telly? Just let people go about their lives. They don't need to know that. Uh, we've missed um, a crucial gaff leading up to this. Oh, yeah. Take the gaff now. So the line is, come on. Yeah, one of them goes, where's the house flea? And then it's, hold on, it's coming, it's coming. Come on, we've been driving around for hours, days, weeks. And then what feels like an eternity later, he turned around and goes, hey, my name's Razzle, man. So he almost forgot that he was acting in a film. Yeah, pretty much. That's actually one of my favorite scenes because they were too lazy to edit that out and do a second take. They just had to fork out out 50 bucks for a cockroach train. I love that scene so much. It's just spits this film so perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, my name's... And he's so... uh, He's not even... uh, He's so meek about it, too. Hey, man, my name's Razzle. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't sound convinced that that's his name. He's not convinced. And other people are laughing about it, too. And nobody, nobody, or Penelope Spears doesn't take the time to edit the scene or say, cut. (laughs) Well, it's in there, and it's there for all eternity. So they're chilling outside the TV shop on this turf that they've just stolen uh, and uh, watching... Uh, what to do if a nuclear bomb goes off. So Joe Schmo thinks that this is a good time to ask Sheila what happened to her back. Romantic setting, isn't it? So again, this is the whole time. <laughs> so this isn't very, uh, very pleasant. Again, uh, her dad beat her all the time, um, and then Joe Schmo, not sympathetically, says, "That's what I thought you were going to say." Instead of raping me, he beat me. I could see my dad getting turned on by staring at me. And instead of raping me, he beat me. And then they keep making out. (laughs) That would put me off if I was either person in the conversation. (laughs) So I've seen this film a few times now, right? So they're kissing in front of the TVs. There's a very good cross shot, and they are continuing to kiss uh, in the unnamed punk club uh, as the main man, star of the show, Jack Grisham from TSOL, is there, and him and the lads are blasting out Wash Away. That actually is an extremely great song to go into on a punk rock love scene. It, It is. Yeah. He's doing an amazing Dave Vanian impersonation right there. He's done it his whole career, hasn't he? And that's what he does. But now I've watched the film, and that's the bit I'm sort of waiting for, the TSOL bit. So I've not never been so keen to see two teenagers snogging because uh, then I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Here it is.
Um, <laughs> Ethan uh, is on Skinner's back. There's a mad circle pit for uh, TSOL doing wash away. And that I've always thought that looks a bit laboured, that bit. Because w- would there be a massive slam pit while the synths are going off? I don't think they've got the TSOL eras correctly lined up with... I- I always had, I always suspected that they were playing abolish government when that pit was going on, yeah. <laughs> and then they stuck in wash away <laughs> while the pit was going on to uh, <laughs> but made it look because we all we've all have we, have we all seen TSOL before? I have, yeah. Okay, so I know for a fact when when uh when anything post abolish government comes on, the circle pits stop. <laughs> Not in 1983. So, <laughs> Grish is there doing his doing his thing, being all handsome. Uh, and then he, he throws a microphone and it clunks Skinner on the back, <laughs> on the back of his uh, head. Um, and then some young Asian lad starts laughing at Skinner. <laughs> now... Not telling people how to live their lives, but if you've got a fully booted and braces skinhead, and you're a five foot little Asian lad, it's probably not the most streetwise move to point and laugh at him. That's, you know, I'm not victim blaming here. That's just common sense, right? So he gets the living shit beat out of him by Skinner. <laughs> And I love how on Amazon Prime, when you watch it on that with the subtitles, every time Skinner goes to hit someone, it comes up with heavy punching. (laughs) (laughs) So he beats up this little lad. I want to say something, though. In America, we don't have the same uh, issues with Asian people. (laughs) Hey, hang on. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have issues with Asian people. I'm just saying. That's funny, (laughs) because... When I worked at the tab, I used to have some people go, you're all right, Mark. You're the kind of guys we want moving here. Not like, and then I'd say, not like what? You know. (laughs) Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, so for the benefit of the tape, we don't believe we have problems. There are people who do believe that we have problems. (laughs) Well, I'm sure you two fine fellows do not, which is no. probably why I'm talking to y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but this little lad gets his head kicked in, basically. He does get his head kicked. Ruins TSOL set, which is unforgivable in my eyes. Anyway, so Skinner storms off. Uh, off he goes outside to cool off. And two jocks uh, see his TR on his jacket and say... Uh, what does TR stand for? Totally ridiculous, which is pretty funny, um, to be honest. <laughs> and if they hadn't put the T there, they wouldn't have had to, would have had to think of a different joke, wouldn't they? And there's a big old fight. Skinner's losing, isn't he? Which is quite unprecedented. But for some reason, the other TR kids have also left the TSOL gig and are walking down the street and see Skinner getting beat up. So they all pile in and they beat up these two jocks. And that's pretty much the end of that fight. No, 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 no. You've got the guy coming out of his house. Oh, fuck, yeah. Uh, they're fighting on this old boy's with lawn. Shotgun. Comes yeah. out with a shotgun. And he pops out <laughs> in his dress. Get again. off my lawn. <laughs> 
So he fires his gun into the air. Um, they run away, but not before Jack Diddley gets one swift kick in on the jock again. What should we do after that near-death experience? Let's go back and let's watch the rest of TSOL's uh, gig. And what is this? What is the TSOL song? Darker My Love. Darker My Love. There we go. Like heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. I think we'll play that. We'll, we'll play out with Darker My Love because it's just so, so good. That was never properly recorded, was it, by TSOL until like 2000 and something? Oh, I thought it was on um, Beneath the Shadows. Mm-mm. Really? Mm-hmm. I really yeah. thought it was. Huh. No, um, they never recorded it and they did it. They did a seven inch the songs from Suburbia and it had the original recording of Wash Away and uh, they'd, re- they'd oh. actually recorded Darker My Love. But they're in there, back in the gig. Um, again, probably not really an appropriate TSOL song for the occasion, but there you go. Um, he's singing, two of the girls from the TR house get up and give Jack Grisham a kiss. And in his book, American Demon, he says uh, that those gigs were the most accurate representation. So those that footage was the most accurate representation of a punk show. Um mainly because it girls come up and kissed him. I think that's what he was getting at. I've seen a lot of punk movies and I, I have to say that's pretty, these are all, all three are pretty good. Well, aside from the girl getting her clothes ripped off. Yeah. Are all very, some of the best actual versions of punk shows I've ever seen on the film. My favorite one was the one um, right at the start. The eye where he's like, fucking come closer. I'm like, I have seen that at every yes, single gig yes. I've ever been to. <laughs> Very. I was like, yeah. So, oh. when I saw Di, I think Casey Royer said that as well. To be honest. <laughs> so. <laughs> so the Grish has swallowed his pride. He's got back on stage. He's blasting out "Dark and My Love" after that first hiccup. They ask Skinner if he's all right, and Ethan goes, "One of those guys was carrying a knife." And Skinner says, "Wimps like those always carry knives." Foreshadowing. <laughs> Just to hammer it home, he was carrying a knife. It's a pretty fucking big knife, too. It's like a Bowie knife. (laughs) Y'all know what a Bowie knife is, right? Yeah, Yeah. like a fucking Crocodile Dundee fucking thing. Yes, yeah. It was a huge damn knife. So, TSOL are smashing it. It's all going well. They're blasting out their uh, gothic love ballad, Darker My Love. Um, But the jocks have got into the gig. Oh, no. They stab one of the security guards. Actually saves Skinner's life. Yeah. Yeah. Stab the security guard. Skinner was the target. It's a pretty brief stab to the kidney, and he drops dead instantly on the floor. Jocks make good their escape. And then, as one might expect, once again, the gig is cut off. For the third time that we've seen this particular gig twice. Jack Grisham yeah, is, yeah. breaks the rules, looks at the camera, does his cutthroat thing. Now, you see, when it happened to DI, they were sort of like, they got it, didn't they? Like, this is bad. Someone's been sexually assaulted at our gig. Jack Grisham's like, no, carry on. Dead security Stab- guard. Stabbings or no stabbings, let's move forward. <laughs> anyway, security's got other ideas. They're all outside. 
and we see the TR kids mooching along the street uh, and the two girls that had attempted to snog Jack Grisham on stage come up to them and say, take all your TR shit off now. And one of them goes, why though? Yeah. You know, read the room, take it off. (laughs) So they take off all their bandanas, stuff around their trilbies, jackets, and then we have a very sinister shot of the uh, the unfeasibly, unfeasibly large hunting knife stuck into a telegraph pole, pinning to it a TSOL poster with TR written on it in blood. In blood. I'm pretty sure he got stabbed by, like, a letter opener. <coughs> and not a big fucking hunting knife. That's two knives, man. It went from a letter opener to a buoy knife. <laughs> I was thinking, if you had the big crocodile Dundee knife and you were going to stab him in the kidney, you'd only get about a quarter of an inch of it in, because otherwise you'd cut him in half. Yeah. True, true. Just drop down dead. Oh, I yeah. mean, you know, and you got, usually you got to stab somebody a dozen times to kill them. Clinical. Yeah, but they, they went straight for the kidney, and everyone knows that that's like, you know, the worst point that you can stab someone. <laughs> Well, you only get one. Um, <coughs> so then they get home uh, from that gig where it's all gone terribly wrong. Um, little Ethan, it's his turn to sleep in the bed. Sheila gives him a good night cuddle. Very sentimental moment. And who ruins it? Mike B. He comes in and he's razzled, man. He's back to being razzled. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Have you have you hugged your kid today? Yes, he says that, and they all. I think that was that was actually a pretty endearing moment, actually, considering it was razzle. It was meant to be uh, sweet but sarcastic. Yeah, well, did the business. Then (coughs) we cut to perhaps the weirdest bit. Um, They're hanging about outside that shop the next day. Yeah, this didn't feel like, in place at all in the whole movie. It was weird. Now, hanging out outside the shop, loitering, the balding 40-year-old bloke who runs the shop comes out, uh, tells them to go away, and they say, what if we're doing our shopping? They have a whip round to get some beer for them and an ice cream for Ethan, and they go into the shop to buy the gear and take the piss out of the man's disability. And this is Flea leading this banter. They limp in, get the beer, limp up, ask for ID. They supply it. And the man says, I don't need this. Don't need your business. And and then Flea says, oh, okay, get me one of them slushes and make it a blue one. And while he's cashing up the purchase, he dumps the slushy in the fucking... Pickled egg jar that's on the side. Pickled eggs. You're in the pickled eggs. And what was that delicious delicacy that you mentioned previously? Coolickle. Coolickle. Coolickle, that's it. Pickled, pickled Kool-Aid and pickles. Southern uh, Southern Mississippi and East Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Y'all don't know. Tu ne sais pas. So basically, Flea potentially invented the uh, cool eggicle by dumping <laughs> that. <laughs> so what does he say? Uh, 
Have a nice day, asshole. Happy Easter, asshole. Happy Easter. <laughs> That's it, yeah. yeah. So he's ruined this lad's shot. They limp out again, jump back in Jack Diddley's piece of shit car. Who happens to be going into the shop? But it's our redneck friends. Yeah, the very close rednecks. The California rednecks. Yeah. The homoerotic rednecks. Out of work. Yeah. They're still going vacationing together. (laughs) The the shop owner says, those bastards came in and fucked up my store. Bit of an over-exaggeration, I thought. And uh, moustache redneck then spits in the direction of the car, which is pretty far away now. Yes, just as two women walk into (laughs) shot as well. (laughs) So he basically spits at two old women, which perhaps he wants to be a punk. Hey. (laughs) I don't know. been in fear. (laughs) (laughs) Right, next stop in our whistle stop tour is... Neighbourhood meeting. Yes, the Citizens Against Crime. CAC. Jack Diddley's cop dad, that's not the worst of it, arrives. And the the meeting's already in full flow. And it seems to be pretty much only about the TR kids and nothing else. The wild teenagers parading through. Yes. And they have their, uh, the new waiver daughter. Yeah. That had her clothing ripped off at the DI show. Yeah. and, And her dad says that there was a stabbing at that club where she was molested. And uh, TR was painted near the murder weapon in blood. Uh, old man who shot a shotgun in the air, he's also there. Again, they all just turn on the cops, so you're not doing your job. And they're going to take matters into their own hands. They warn the cops. Exactly. So... And if- You've also got that one guy who um, who says "God damn" and then apologizes to the reverend. Yeah, which sets a precedent for the rest of the uh, the meeting because it just goes all to pot. <laughs> Perhaps the reverend put a curse on them or something. I don't know. That sort of come to a head. The next day, Jack Diddley's dad, who's we think we find out, is called Bill now. Uh, his cop, his cop dad. Yeah, that's not the worst of it. That's not the worst of it. No. He turns up. Say the worst of it? <laughs> he, he turns up at the TR house, only to be greeted by a feral child with a BB gun. <laughs> yeah, who is useless as, as a guard because he says, "I'm Bill. Don't shoot." Where's Jack? And he just tells him where Jack is peeling teeth. <laughs> so Bill goes in. Jack's not happy to see his uh, stepdad cop. Um, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Bill tries to explain to them that there are some gelated arseholes coming to do harm to them and they won't listen to him and he says, what do I have to do to make you listen to me? Pay you? And then they all appear out of the woodwork, don't they? That's probably my favourite scene. Yeah, the little punk roaches. (laughs) (laughs) So they all sit down for story time with Uncle Bill. He tells them they should go home. A lot of them haven't got homes. The state won't even let Skinner see his family, probably for their sake. Yeah. Fairness. I used to talk to them about like furthering themselves, going to college, and Skinner eloquently pops up with college. Most of us couldn't afford lunch in high school. Skinner's wise. He he should be a lawyer. He's got all he the fingers out throughout this whole film. So anyway, do they take heed? 
Bill says, what do you kids do for money? And Skinner comes out with another zinger. Take bribes from cops. He's full of them. Wild yeah, King. I watched that so many times and never even noticed that. <laughs> King of the wisecracks. So Bill tells him, off they go. Nighttime rolls around again. Everyone's had a busy day of TRing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's dead of night. A pickup truck with its headlights on rolls into their driveway. Silently. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's our friends uh, Stokes and Trippett. Lenny and Carl. <laughs> Cotton Eye Joe and his mate. They they go into the house, they sneak in, make some comment about the decor, and uh, I don't know what they but, I don't know At what least they got good taste in women. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what they were hoping to achieve with this, because they sort of walk in, walk in on the off chance of bumping into one of them. They don't seem to know. But luckily, it's one of the more timid members who comes across their path, who they grab, put the gun to her head, and they seem more scared than the TR kids. Yeah. And they say, uh, we're sick of your bullshit. Um, take this as kind of a warning. A kind of a warning or an actual warning? Um, this is what you might call a warning. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what we might call a warning. Um, Sheila, when they're about to leave, bites one of them, who then rips her shirt off promptly, pushes away and calls her a filthy whore, stupid whore. Dirty whore. Dirty whore, damn it. <laughs> and they Next leave. time we'll do more than tear up somebody's shirt. Yeah, heads are going to roll. Yeah. So they they all go back to bed. It dawns the next day. Everyone's a bit on edge, aren't they, the next day? Oh, definitely, especially Skinner. Does anyone see my shirt? Yeah, you're wearing it. Fuck this shirt, asshole. My yellow shirt. If somebody took that shirt, I'll knock their fucking teeth out. He's stumping round. Where's my shirt? He's really testy, isn't it? He, he, Very. He, he bemoans all the domestic chores he does, like putting nails up to keep everything organised, and he can't find his fucking shirt anywhere. Where's my yellow shirt? <laughs> But Keith is stumbling around, looking in a real state, to be honest, looking for Ooh. his dope. Where's my dope? I hit it. <laughs> I had like 25 flat triangles. That's a lot, oh, isn't it? It is. Yeah, he can't find it anywhere. Skinner has another dig about his dope. Decides to look in. Sheila's in the room with the bed to, for his yellow shirt. He's pretty annoyed anyway. Finds her after smashing the door down, dead as a dodo. So basically, he just does the same thing in reverse and punches holes in the, <laughs> in the walls as he goes back along his yeah. route that he'd just come along. Goes goes full Kyle. He does. Comes in, sees Keith. Doesn't explain the situation to anyone. What's going on? You and your stupid dope. This is what I think you're dope. What are you doing? You and your stupid dope. This is what That's I think of your stupid dope. Heavy punching. Heavy punching, yeah. <laughs> Heavy punching on Keith's face. Heavy punching on Keith's face. Then he starts to tell everyone the actual important news that Sheila's dead. 
And uh, he, I think we cut to a scene where they read the note after that. Yeah, I've got a point on this. It's regarding Jack Diddley's lack of leadership again. First of all... I, I always see Skinner as the leader in this, though. Well, perhaps that's how it should be. What do you Jack, guys think? Let us know in the comments. Jack is the leader. Sword. They don't. They don't have a legit leader. It's more like a confederacy than a union. <laughs> <laughs> Jack is the uh, Jack Diddley's the, the leader, and Skinner's the muscle. Yeah, the enforcer. Yeah, that's what I was going to. Who knows what Mike B does? But of course, if Jack Diddley tried to tell Skinner what to do, I don't think it would end up very good for Jack Diddley. Because you know, everyone's traumatized. There's a small kid there. The leader should step up and read that note. Yeah. yeah. He gets someone else to do it. Then he says, What should we do? I talk about what to do with the dead body. And again, time to shine, Jack. You know, so be solutions focused. He says, I think we should all decide. Bottled it. And what do they decide to do? <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. Yeah. N- knock on the door (laughs) with her body in a manky old sheet presumably in jack diddley's um beaten up old car Uh, and they're all there socially distanced on the front lawn all spread out for some reason (laughs) which was just like in watching it for the first time in 2020 i was like that's that's pretty good actually i like that (laughs) yes knock on the door hello mate are you sheila's dad yeah Oh, she's in this manky old sheet. She's dead. She yeah. can't She's dead. But that's what they did when uh, when someone uh, someone did that when Cindy Bartholomew OD'd. They put her in the front seat of a mother's car. Right. So this is just like natural for them. A precedent had been set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't show though, like whether they just went here you go then and just passed her to a dad. <laughs> or, like just. I like, mean. Whoa. In pandemic times, what you want to do is leave it on the porch and take a few steps back until the answer to the door, you know? Yeah. Uh, so this this guy's just been told his daughter's killed himself. Her, her cadaver is right there in front of him, just a manky spunk-covered sheet between him and it. And Joe Schmo thinks it's a good time to say, we'd like to come to the funeral, please, mm. if you wouldn't mind. Mm. Again, it Jack did that, That's about as polite as you can get in a punk rock movie in a punk rock scenario. <laughs> I mean, Joe Schmo is a naturally nice guy. The words were fine. Just the timing was off. Oh yeah. No, it's uh, incredibly horrible timing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just before that, uh, I can't remember who says it, but someone says, well, sorry to tell you this, but she killed herself. What? Is this a joke? No, it's not. Please take it. We don't know what to do with it. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> And of course, you know, in reality, this is exactly what a group of teenagers would do. They yeah, probably. They wouldn't just leave her, leave her on the doorstep and run away. <laughs> <laughs> and then we cut straight away to the funeral, which they've turned around in record time. And yeah, all the TR kids are at the back of the funeral home. Respectfully, again. Respectfully, again. I don't think they do anything wrong here. I don't. I don't think that it's the mother that wants them out. It's the dad. 
definitely. The mother's like, you know, crying and whispering, but the dad's like, these kids have got to go. Uh, one of them drops a toilet roll, which, you know, they're young kids at the funeral. Yeah. They're, low, yeah. they're lower class, poor, young kids with no supervision at a funeral. They ain't, they ain't meaning no harm. Nope. Nope. The dad asks them to leave. They won't. And what's the dad's ace card up his sleeve? He can't persuade them as the father of the deceased to leave. So he thinks, I know what I'll do. I'll ask this 70-odd-year-old woman who works at the funeral home to ask them to leave because that'll work. I thought that was a bit of a weird move from him. Uh, But then Joe Schmo steps up and says, you used to molest her, you used to beat her, she told us. And everyone at the funeral is looking really shocked. See, Joe's showing some good leadership skills here. He's he's stepping up. I, I, I think, yeah, that when there's a coup, if Joe Schmo can get Skinner on side, that's it for Diddley. Game over. And Joe, lo- Joe loved her. Joe yeah. was the only one of the few, uh, probably the most positive male figure she had in her life at that point in time. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Stepping up to the Chester Molester dad. So Chester Molester grabs <laughs> Joe Schmo. Uh, Skinner's not having that and just smashes the dad in the face. Preceded by, if it wasn't for you, this is the dad. If it wasn't for you, she'd probably still be alive. And Joe makes himself look bigger and goes, no asshole, if it wasn't for you, she'd still be alive. Don't you say that? You don't know anything about us. Yes, I do. Sheila told me all about you. She told me how you couldn't keep your hands off her. You shut up. Everything degenerates in chaos. Then they take his advice to leave after they've smashed up a funeral. I'd be pretty keen to know what actually happened. And as they're all leaping away, running and yahooing, the beginnings of this song begin to play (laughs) before cutting to a gig at the club. Yeah. 
funeral fight into the legend of Pat Brown by the Vandals. Yes. Um, I mean, the such, a perfect, such a perfect pick for this movie. Yeah, they are um, rocking the Vandals. Uh, this is original lineup Vandals, isn't it? Original lineup Vandals with Steve-O on vocals and uh, Joe Escalante on drums and Jans Niels Ackerman on guitar. Yeah. Um, and also uh, there's the Vandals song Urban Struggle is also on the soundtrack. It's not played live, but they're listening to it in the TR house. And Urban Struggle is my favorite Vandal song and fits this movie so perfectly. So the song they're playing is The Legend of Pat Brown. Um, uh, What we believe this club in this film is based on uh, The Cuckoo's Nest. We We believe that's what it's based on. The real Legend of Pat Brown, he got stopped by for some minor traffic offense in the car park. Pat Brown was a skateboarder and attendee of the Cuckoo's Nest. Trapped one of them in the window, wound his window up when his arm was through, drove away. And tried to run the cops over. <laughs> <laughs> and the cops shot loads of bullets into his car. <laughs> he kept going at him. <laughs> and somehow managed to make it out alive and only spend a minimal time in jail for it. <laughs> Didn't he get absolutely beat on though? And uh, oh, I'm sure he did. I'm I saw sure a documentary. Someone said he was never the same after that. Ugh, the beat. Ugh. So, my uncle stole a cop car and drove around and went joyriding in it. <laughs> and he was 17, and he literally spent two days in jail for it. <laughs> well, there you go. Legend of Pat Brown and the legend of Mark's uncle there. So, yeah, that's what the Vandals are doing. They're smashing that one out. Jack's dad uh, summons him out of the club to talk to him um, and says, I need you kids to get out of that house tonight. It's all going to kick off. It's not looking good. After the Vandals gig, they all go uh, back to the TR house, start packing up all their shit. They're all getting a bit sentimental about it. Uh, Razzle, a.k.a. Flea, uh, siphons the petrol out of Jack's car. He's ready to burn it all down. But in the meantime, they've changed their minds and they say that they're staying. Yeah. And in the middle of that, the um, rednecks are trying to prove their masculinity by going to a strip club. Um, and one of them's one of them says uh, rather lamely, I like your personality. And I was just inwardly cringing when he said that. And that woman's doing some not very attractive dancing. The, uh, the scene where I'm she an expert, lifts right? up her skirt and does the shimmy yeah. is one of the creepiest strip club scenes. <laughs> I remember, you know, me even as horny teenagers who never got laid, me and my friends were so grossed out by that strip club scene. <laughs> <laughs> Almost fucking puts you off, doesn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, and they concoct a plan to see off the TR kids once and for all. Um, but the TR kids have got a plan. They await, they lie in wait, don't they? For They do. For the rednecks. Little Ethan up on the roof. Or is Evan on the roof? I think Evan's on the roof. I believe Evan is on the roof. Yeah. Looking out. So yes, they're not leaving without a fight. Then it's almost, it's quite home alone isn't it? Like... <laughs> uh, 
Like is it, the the guys come, Flea lets his dogs out. Cream Who, and cheese. Cream and name. cheese, the dogs. Fucking hell. <laughs> let's uh lets them out. They attack the guys. There's a big a big fight. Uh Jack Diddley actually does something useful for a change. Fights them. Isn't out the barbecue pit? Some uh, one of the girls chucks a load of fucking ashes in one of their faces. They spray paint the mustache one's face. It's all TR. This is they're they're, they're it's wild. a full on punk rock assault. They yeah. beat a hasty retreat, and that's when I believe it's Jack says, "Hasta luego, shit face," <laughs> which is the last line in the film. Yeah. But we think it's going to be victory for our heroes. But the rednecks jump in their car. For some reason, no one's watching Evan. Ethan. Fuck, Ethan. And he's took this opportunity whilst there's brutal violence and blinding of old men going on around him to jump on his big wheel and have a go. And yeah. (laughs) And yeah, the rednecks speed off. Smash. They hit Ethan, and he's dead as fuck on the windscreen. And the last scene is the rednecks trying to drive away, and the cops stopping them yeah, and arresting them. So, you know, there was a little bit of justice served. A little bit. But at what cost? <laughs> you beat me to, you beat me to stay. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's it. Finn, the end. I'd love to see a, a Suburbia 2, like, 35 years on. Well, 35 years on, as we discussed in our group chat the other day, um, those houses in real life that they filmed it in were condemned to build the freeway, which is the freeway Keanu Reeves has to jump over in speed in his bus. So, um, so Penelope Spears kind of, in a way... She, she didn't do a sequel necessarily to this, but she did um, Decline of the Western Civilization 3. Yeah, which that, originally was going to be Decline of Eastern Civilization and looking at the Japanese punk scene. Oh, oh the Japanese punk scene is super fucking hardcore, but I don't know. Has it, Have either of y'all seen Decline 3? Not 3. I've only no. seen Decline 1, yeah. Okay, so it is absolutely mind-numbingly depressing it is hardcore punk beyond hardcore punk i mean these guys are legitimate street urchin druggy fuck-ups and at least about i think half of them are dead now from that move from that documentary so that was the closest thing she's ever done to a sequel to suburbia so she went with wayne's world yeah she did she, she got her money from too? Wayne's World, but you know she's she's done four punk films. Uh, she's done Decline One, Decline Three, Suburbia, and the punk rock western Dudes, which if you've never seen Dudes, is a great film. I have not seen Dudes. It's another like film that to. has the Vandals in it. It has the the newer. It has the what I call the mid lineup of the Vandals, where it has Joe Escalante on bass. It has Whoever the it has Josh Freeze on drums, mm-hmm. but it's it has the current singer, but it still has um, 
Jan Nils Ackerman on guitar. So pre-Warren Fitzgerald. Very interesting. So there's some more films for you to check out. But what we like to do, Mark, here is we look on the user reviews. And this one's got seven something out of ten on IMDb. Yeah, pretty good. And there's a lot of 10 out of 10s here. The lowest I've seen so far in the user reviews is a 10. Is it a 7, sorry. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> 9, 9. Somebody's got to have hated it. Come on. So, 7 out of 10 review here. It says it's flawed, but despite the low budget and the poor acting, this movie is one of my favourites. I really felt sympathy for the TR kids. I knew some people who were like them. I even identified with some of them. There was a time in my youth when my friends and I all had a crash pad we could run off to if things got unbearable at home. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how y'all's, how y'all in England, I don't know how things are. I mean, I, I always, maybe I'm wrong, but I always feel suburbia in England is a little different than in the United States. You know, there's the line, there's the famous line and, uh, you know, or they thought this was, what did they say? They, they didn't think that these were going to be the slums of the future. Yeah, yeah that's a little bit over the top. But, you know, uh, when my parents were married, they lived in what I call the middle, middle class home. Yeah, yeah. You know, my, my dad was a carpenter. My mom worked graveyard shift at a hotel to yeah. be able to afford that. But when they got a divorce, I lived in a trailer and, uh, you know, a, a real small apartment. When I was a teenager, you know, I'd go to my friend Flip's house. Flip, when he was in high school, his mom left him when he was six. Uh, Flip, when he was in high school, worked 35 hours a week at Kentucky Fried Chicken and um, lived in a uh, like $600 a month duplex that was in a extremely, it was basically a flop house. It was, you know, one step above the TR house. And that's where my the first time I ever played a live show was at Flip's shithole duplex and uh, you know and then we all when i was still in high school me flip our friend jacob and our friend siggy lived in a one bedroom apartment all together you know and we'd have skin random skinheads and punks stay over some heavy punching going on then if you had skin yeah, some, <laughs> some heavy punching going on and yeah it was you know we had these create these very similar things to suburbia i mean the only thing that really kept us stable was punk rock it was going to the punk shows i mean i'm not gonna say punk saved my life but it saved me from being an extremely depressed horribly boring person well i found someone that doesn't agree with you uh-oh i found a one out of ten review oh Represents real punks? I think not. This movie is entertaining, despite having a cast of horrible actors. It is entertaining in the fact that its depiction of real, in inverted commas, punks, is so hilarious. The only true redeeming quality about this movie is the live footage of a few early 80s punk bands. Other than that, it is just a joke. I have to laugh whenever I hear someone say it represents punks, what, what punks are really like. You know who said that? That's a pop punker. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a no effects fan to me. <laughs> I've um I've got one from the um the opposite end of the scale here. It's uh it's an eight out of ten, but this is written by uh 
it sounds like a punk rock gatekeeper. Uh oh. Um, I like that term, punk rock gatekeeper. Uh, okay, punks. If you grew up on punk icons, good Charlotte. If you call Green Day's Dookie or Offspring Smash old school. If you paint your leather because you saw it on VH1. If you think the term hardcore relates to Ozfest somehow. If you think skinheads originated in America as a racist gang. If you think tagging cars and brick walls started with hip hop. If you call slam dancing moshing, here's a little history lesson. Number one. <laughs> Good Charlotte is a mainstream pop rock band. What's this got to do with a film? (laughs) No, no. Number two, Green Day released great records called 39 Smooth and Kaplunk on Lookout. Offspring's debut, if you're able to find an original copy, is fast, sloppy, out of tune, and pretty cool. But if you're really looking for old school, The Damned can give you a good glimpse into where TSOL, with two songs in the movie, and even Britpop came from. No, this person's a fucking idiot. So it goes on for this... um, (laughs) Like for about four or five different points, and then it ends with, and if you needed to be told any of that, go rent suburbia and you'll take your first step toward enlightenment. Boy, oi, that's your lot. That person's got to be at least 50, but. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh, the title of this review is I like Spherus, but oh my God. <laughs> I really liked The Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, The Metal Years. Heck, I even enjoyed Ferris's Wayne, Wayne's World. But Suburbia, a real sophomoric effort, if you know what I mean. The rednecks aren't believable. The kids do much of nothing dramatic. The acting is marginal to bad. And the pacing slash editing needs to be tightened by about 20 minutes. Too late now, mate. It's out. The film does not age well. But I did like catching the Red Hot Chili Peppers flea as a kid and all three of his lines. All in all, a good try, but a bad movie. Well, this person's just not... This person obviously has no clue about punk rock, whether old school, new school, mainstream, or underground. I found a fire. Counting Red Red Hot Chili Peppers flea as the the main main, uh, love of the film. (laughs) I found a two out of ten. Ridiculously awful. <laughs> if Mystery Science 3000 used crappy melodramas rather than science fiction movies to spoof, this would have been used decades ago. Every plot point can be seen coming five minutes before it happens. You could pull 15 people off the street, give them the script for five minutes and have more emotion and believability in their acting than these losers do. That's pretty much exactly what she did. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get more wooden or laconic performances add to the fact that this is blatantly sexist racist and homophobic within the first 10 minutes and you have a completely irredeemable movie i grew up on sst discord touch and go and the like but the punkers are no better than the townies in this dud that says it all that for aging (laughs) sst discord and touch and go says it all (laughs) right then lads i think we'll call that an evening. Thank you, Mark. And thank you, Niall. Sorry for the technical glitches. No, that's fine. I had a great time. Thanks for inviting me. It's fine. Yeah. Also, there's a book called Destroy All Movies. Who's that by, Mark? It is by my former co-worker, Zach Carlson and Brian Connolly, with a foreword by Richard Hell himself. Wow. Very good. It's a book it's about got interviews with so many people in it. It's, it had four interviews with four or five people from suburbia. It's got interviews with like 
B level B movie actors, you know, all sorts of folks are in this. It's great. Fucking sweet. That's going to happen then. We need to, uh, yeah, get hold of that. Probably not the Brian Connolly, uh, if you're British, that um, did the famous comedy sketch, It's a Puppet. Uh, probably not that Brian Connolly. I'm willing to wager on there. It does have interviews with Penelope Spears in it too, which I didn't notice. John Doe and Xene from X, leaving from Fear. Yeah, a lot of folks. So check that book out on the old interwebs and get yourself a copy right enjoy the rest of your thanksgiving weekend marco all right thanks a lot guys no worries worries. like heaven hold back the tears your love runs loose in the wilderness our silence pushes me under soft whispering from the dark of your love to me like sunset your love falls ash night comes through to your lurid love in darkness I know you, the sunlight showers my rain, your movements obscure me, your laughter so alluring.
Oi, oi, oi.